Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. This series that we're in, I know it's kind of broken up. Last week, uh, I started this about uh, four weeks ago, three weeks ago, but it's going to be broken up through a number of things. Last week, we had Pastor Jeff here with Kingdom Bridge Ministry. Next week, we're going to have Isaiah Kadiri here uh, from our partner churches in Nigeria. And so uh, this will kind of be broken up a little bit. I hope that you can make it next week. Isaiah hasn't been with us since before the pandemic happened, so he, we haven't seen him in a, in a number of years. Um, but this series is all about lordship. And if you'll remember all the way back to the beginning of this series, I started it off by talking to you like, you know, Jesus is not everybody's Lord. He's everybody's who comes to know Christ. He's everybody's savior, but you have to allow him to be Lord of your life. Um, it doesn't mean that he's not Lord of creation. Like for instance, we don't necessarily make Jesus Lord or Savior or not. He's the Savior of the world, whether or not you accept him. He's the Lord of all creation, whether or not you allow him to be your Lord. But there is a personal involvement in this. Jesus can be Savior of the world and still a large portion of the world is going to hell. Jesus can be Lord of all creation positionally, but still not be Lord of people's lives. So it's really up to us how far we get into our relationship with God. And so who is, who is the Lord? Who is he to you? And we talked about in the very beginning of this, like Jesus said, you know, what are people saying about me? And they said, well, you might be the prophet Elijah. Well, you might be, you know, John the Baptist. You might be all these different people. And, and, and Jesus said, well, first of all, all of those are wrong, but I really want to know who am I to you? Who am I to you? And so it really comes down to this thing, like, who is Jesus to you? It doesn't matter if you were raised in church. Like, you and I, on the day that we see Christ face to face, we, we're not going to see Jesus. And he, and he goes, so, so tell me about your mom and dad's faith. No, it's going to be your works on earth, your testimony on earth, how you and I lived life out. It's not based upon anything else except our personal relationships. So when it comes down to our faith, who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he your savior? Yeah, I got saved when I was whatever age. Uh, I accepted Jesus as my savior. So, you know, thank God I'm not going to hell. Okay, so, so a lot of people are there and they never go any further with their faith. They just kind of got their get out of hell free card. And that's what a lot of people have watered their faith down to is just thank God I'm not going to hell. But that's not living. Like, you know, you don't want to just like, uh, you know, like, like let's just say for instance, you have a huge debt and you man, you, somebody came and they paid that debt off for you. And you're like, oh, thank God. Like, I don't have to worry about that debt. 
But you know what you do have to worry about? Tomorrow. Like, you have to worry about living. And I'm not saying worry. I'm talking about you have to have a concern about living. Because you're going to go on tomorrow. Where are you going to live? Where are you going to work? What kind of, you know, retirement are you going to have? Like, what's, how, who's going to take care of your family? You don't just stop living because your debt is paid. Just the same with us. Just because Jesus paid our debt, it doesn't mean that we're not going to go ahead and, and have a life. And the scripture says that he came that we would have life and have it to the fullest. Like, not just survive, but like a life that's full of health and prosperity and joy, you know? So there's there, this whole thing about relationship with God, man, is just not about getting out of hell free. It's not about that. And that's what a lot of believers boil their faith down to, is like, at least I'm going to be able to get into heaven. Man, what about the life that we live here? The scripture says this, for the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand means right here. When he said, the kingdom of God is right now. That's what he meant. The kingdom of God is right now. And where is the kingdom of God? It's inside of you. It's inside of me. So the kingdom of God, many people have their idea of heaven and it's, and, or, or uh, uh, they have their idea of the kingdom and the kingdom of heaven is literally in the place that we call heaven, the afterlife. But he says the kingdom of God is really inside of us. And so we walk throughout. Okay, so this is where the declaration comes in. If we possess the kingdom, we're supposed to reflect the kingdom. Like if we possess the kingdom, people are supposed to see the kingdom of God inside of us. I don't know if you looked at the world lately, but it's not a really happy place. It hasn't been for quite a while. I mean, it literally seems like, good Lord, we are at the beginning of the end of days. Like, you've got all the political chaos, you've got all the racial chaos, you've got now financial chaos, you have the chaos that comes from uh, COVID, you've got all of that. We were talking this weekend about how COVID literally has affected the world. Like you don't think about it, but COVID has literally affected the world. And if I could just talk to the young people for just a second. Guys, uh, and I'm, when I say young people, I'm really kind of talking about if you're a student. Guys, COVID has changed things and you don't need to buy in to a lot of the stuff that COVID has. Like for instance, in the school system, my wife's a teacher. Some of you guys are teachers. We have teachers who actually are teaching kids today uh, who teach in the public school system. But COVID, what COVID did, it started creating a mindset in, in young people. It created a mindset of fear. It created a mindset of complacency. It created a mindset of entitlement. Just bear with me for just a second. It created all of these mindsets, and even though uh, maybe it didn't create some of them, but it exasperated, it, it inflated them. And so now today in the, in the education system, what, what is happening is that, man, 
education literally has gone out the window. I can't speak for private schools. I can't speak for Christian schools. And I can't speak for parochial schools. But for the public school system, education literally has gone out the window. And so now during COVID, when they were doing all of their work by Skype and virtual school and everything, well, they can work on it when they want to. They can go fishing and be working on a project on, in the boat. They can do it at 12 o'clock to midnight. They can do it, you know, eating banana pudding or pizza. So, all right, so translate now, like, I can do whatever I want to. I can do it like I want to. Now, translate that back to we started school again. And we've been in school for, you know, a whole year. They bring that attitude into the school. So they bring this mindset into the school so that mindset is, hey, I can do this how I want to. So what that does is it creates a rebellious attitude against authority. Like, you don't tell me what to do. You're not my boss. The teacher, the officials in school, the faculty, you're not my boss. So COVID created this atmosphere where I'm my own boss. I get to do it my way when I want to. And I also can dress the way I want to. Man, you've heard me say this before. Shay and uh, Greg were talking and we were at lunch and they said, man, uh, kids, they can wear slippers to school. They can wear pajama pants to school. Now, we have some folks in here that they don't go to private school. I just want to pause for a second and just ask, like, Philip, Deborah, do, at, at your children's school, can they wear pajama bottoms? Can they wear bunny slippers? All right. So, all right. So you take that. That's a, that's a, I don't know if it's private, Christian, parochial, don't know. The point is, it's not public. So you take that mindset. Uh, there, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you, the atmosphere is orderly. I can guarantee you there is a high respect for authority. There is a calmness and a peace in that school. And I can guarantee you, I guarantee you that scores academically are high. I can guarantee you all of those without even talking to them. But now you, you go to the public school system and, and, and it sounds like I'm down on public school system and surprise, I am. Because friends, if we don't get a grip who was it that Abraham Lincoln said that the philosophy of the, of, of, of the classroom in one generation is what we're going to be governed by in the next? These people are your next city councilmen. These people are your next lawyers. These people are your next politicians. You see what I'm saying? And so we've got to get a grip on that. Shay sends me, she says, you know, our, our kids can wear these things. Well, why, why are they doing that? Why? Because it set up a mindset. We can do this how we want to. We can dress how we want to. Now that we're back into school, we can dress how we want to. Guess who's letting them do that? Leadership. And she literally sends me a photo of, the, of, of, of this kid uh, in bunny slippers, full rabbit ears, and cartoon 
pajama pants. And I'm just sitting there going, and this is what is wrong. Like, Pastor Wright, you're making a huge deal out of that. No, what, that creates an atmosphere. The way you dress creates an atmosphere. And when you come dressed to school, like you just rolled out of bed, and it's all kind of, I do what I want, then that's what you get. That will generate a generation of leaders who have that same mindset. Listen, I'm going somewhere with this, so stick with me, because it's about mindset. Who is Jesus to you? Is he Lord? You know, we don't have a problem. Lord really means boss. He's the manager. Well, not really the manager, the owner. We don't have a problem with boss at work, do we? I mean, you might have a problem with your boss, but you don't have a problem with the philosophy of he's the boss or she's the boss and I'm the employee. Pay me a fair wage and treat me right and I have no problem with you being my boss. But translate that into the spirit realm. Like, he is really our boss. And a good boss takes care of his employees. A good boss takes care of business. A good boss makes sure that you're, you have the right resources. That's how, who Jesus is. Jesus is our good boss. He's our good leader. He's the one who wants to, you know, he's the one who will make sure that you and I have the provision that we need to do his kingdom work. He's the one that looks after us and takes care of us and makes sure that we're, we're, we're well-trained and we're well-provided for and that, you know, that the atmosphere in the workplace is joyful. You ever worked in a place that, man, the morale is low? I have. I've worked in a place where it's like, I don't think anybody wants to work here. That is not how Jesus wants it to be in the kingdom. Jesus wants us to have a, a, a family where it's full of the joy of the Lord. But the reality is that many times we have houses full that are, meaning houses of worship, houses full that are not joyful. People don't know how to praise and worship. They don't know the beauty of it. And it's because Jesus is not Lord of that area of people's lives. I, I don't mean that to hurt anybody's feelings. There are probably people in this room today. There may be people watching that he's not Lord of your life when it comes to that area of your life. Let's look at Luke chapter 10 real quick. And, and this is a good segue from that. All right, so Luke chapter 10, are you there? All right, Luke chapter 10, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's interested in that question that I began with. What do I have to do not to go to hell? That's, his, that's the intent behind his question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? It's important. Underline law of Moses. What does the law of Moses say? 
How do you read it? In other words, he's saying, what does the law of Moses say? And what's your understanding of it? Why does he say law of Moses? Because where did the original, you go back to the original in everything. You know, all of this stuff that's going on in our country now, they're saying, so what do we have to do? Like all of the laws that are being passed or considered or whatever, like what document do we go to? Anybody want to toss the deck? Yeah, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. We go, we go back there to those founding documents because that's where our country started. And so the further you get away from it, the same thing with the scripture. Here we are. We got a cabillion denominations. None of them can agree on anything. And so what do you do? It's not what the Methodists teach. It's not what the Baptists teach. It's not what Pentecostals teach. It's what, like, it, we go back to this. And if we're really true to the Spirit of God, we say it's really not what our doctrine or anything, you know, uh, uh, denominationally or if you're part of that. You go back to what does the original Scripture say and, and, and let's try to get that. So he says, let's go back to when God gave the law. His commandments. Let's go all the way back there to the law of Moses. And then the man said, okay, I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, you must love the Lord. You must love the who? The Lord. So this whole thing is about who is he to you? And he's saying, if you are in relationship with the Lord, if you are in relationship with God, he should be your Lord. And if he's your Lord, this is how you know he is Lord, all right? It's fixing to clarify who is he to you. You're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, Jesus goes on to say, you have answered right. If you do these, you will inherit life. Well, not just life there, but you'll inherit life here. Like, if you practice these things, your life will be enhanced here. And I don't know, there, like, how many of us in here grew up in, uh, like, certain denominations or spiritual uh, traditions. When I grew up in, really, the Pentecostal church, all right, um, the way that we were trained and discipled, nobody just outright taught you this, but you knew this is... Uh, what they meant just through the teaching. You knew it through all of the songs that we sang. And you've heard me, if you've been around here uh, for a while, you've heard me uh, kind of poke at this. Like all the songs that we sang were about heaven. Anybody grow up there? All the songs were about heaven. They were about, if I could just escape this dark, dank, miry clay. He lifted me out of the deep miry clay. He planted my feet on the heavenly way. You know, um, um, 
When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder. You know, it's all about, get, like, if we could just escape this world, because it's terrible here. If we could just make it through, God, please come and let us get there. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is for you and I to reflect his glory here. We're going to spend an eternity there. Our time is here, here is very short. And so we are to have life here. We are to make an impact here. And he says, you've answered correctly. If you do these things, if you allow him to be Lord of all of your life, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, then you'll, you'll inherit Life, not only eternal life, but look at this. This is what lordship involves. It involves our whole body. He says, Luke chapter 10, we just read it. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. So these four areas of, of, of who we are, like we've, our, the heart, the center. It's not talking about your physical heart. It's talking about the center of who you are. Many times we'll talk, and I don't know if they talk in the corporate world like this, but we'll talk in church circles like this. I just want to hear your heart. You ever heard people say, talk like that? I want to hear your heart. I want to hear your heart about, you know, whatever. What they're really saying is, I want to hear the very core of who you are about this particular subject like what's your makeup what's your feeling what are your beliefs it's the really kind of the totality of who, who you are soul has to deal with emotions has to deal with passions that's why we call it soul food because when you sit down and you eat a meal uh, 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 that soul food anybody know what soul food is Soul food, I had some soul food this past week with Lynn and with Larry over at uh, uh, Dick Russell's Barbecue. And I'm not lying, man. I had some pork, fried pork chops. They will make you want to slap your mama. They were so good. They were amazing. And that's soul food. And I, I know these guys, they were like, oh, Pastor Rife, you're embarrassing us. But I'm, I'm like, Man, these are so good. Oh my God, these are great. You got it. You want to take a bite out of this? And I'm like, I'm sure they were like, okay, already with the pork chops. But I was, it, I was passionate about it because that soul food that we were eating made me feel good. So it deals with emotions. It deals with, you know, our passions. Then you've got strength. I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. And then today, I really want to talk about our mind. Because that's where it all starts. When lordship starts, it, it starts in the mind. And it starts with like, who do you see Jesus being in your belief system, in your mind? So look at this. If I want to change my behavior, I need to change my mind. Many people, when they start out with something and, and it's like, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they're just like, I'm just going to change my behavior. And they find themselves doing what? Relapsing, backsliding. You know, I, I, I don't mean necessarily in a, uh, always a spiritual context, but it's like in other regressing, just put it, whatever word you want in there. 
they find themselves not being able to change. Why? Because they really have not sat down and thought this through, that I'm going to make these changes. This is why I'm making these changes. I've done my due diligence of why this is a good uh, reason to make these changes. They just jump straight to behavior change. And it's usually not successful. Sometimes it is, but it's usually not successful because you changed your behavior, but you didn't change the mindset behind it. Now, you see where I was going from the very beginning of this? When I talk about mindset, like it, once you create mindsets or allow mindsets to be cre- created in you, those mindsets then create behaviors, So to change behaviors, you and I have to change our mindset, all right? I want you to to look at this real quick. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2, many of you already know this. You know where I'm going with it, but it talks about presenting our bodies. So this is uh, Paul. He's talking to the Romans here, and he says, so dear brothers and sisters. So who's he talking to? Believers. He's not talking to uh, non-believers. He's talking to believers, those who have already accepted Jesus as Savior. He says, so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. All right, let me just point a few things out real quick. All right, so he's pleading for us to present our bodies, our bodies. Everything that you just saw on the screen a few minutes ago, mind, soul, strength. What's the other one? Heart, there you go, thank you. So all of that, he wants all of that. He wants every bit of us. And not just that, he doesn't want all of the abstract. He wants, he wants the physical body. And so Paul in, in here, you know, I don't know that we really get the, the intensity of it because he says, um, so dear brothers and sisters, I would highly suggest. So dear brothers, I think it's a good idea if maybe you might consider. It doesn't say that. He uses the word plead, beg, when we think of pleading, we're, we, we usually think of people on their knees and they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, please, please. So you get the, you get the intensity of Paul's writing here to, to the church. He's saying, I'm begging you, I'm begging you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Now you have to understand the context where he was writing this, the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth People would offer their bodies up all the time. All right, so pause just a second. This is gonna go a little bit PG-13 for a second, okay? All right, so this is gonna be a little mature, but I'm gonna try to be careful with it. Corinth was a city that was explicit. You follow me? They offered their bodies all the time in worship. Can you imagine the depravity that people, and they weren't doing it just to be like debaucherous. They, they weren't doing it just to, you know, be raunchy. They truly were offering their bodies in explicit acts 
on an altar to the goddess Diana, to a false god. And Paul, he's coming into this context and he's trying, it would be like us going into a Muslim country. And we're trying to change the mindset of, 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 of the city or whatever. And to them, it's totally, it's, it's totally okay to behead people. They're infidels. Why, why wouldn't we behead these infidels? And so we're coming in and going, no, no, no. It's bad to behead people. You know, we're supposed to love our neighbor, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, so he's trying to change the context of, of how they live. And he's going, you guys have been offering your bodies. And if you have it, somebody in your family has. They've been coming to the altar, to the goddess Diana, and they've been laying on the altar performing Acts, explicit acts and calling that worship. And Paul is saying, I'm begging you, change your mind. What you're doing is not an act of worship. Guys, how different is that? Okay, we may not be to that place in our culture, but how different is that from us as believers? Like when, when we come to the altar of God and we come into the house of God and we worship God, but our heart is far from him. You know, when I, I believe Isaiah says this, I believe Amos, the prophet of Amos says the same thing. Like God says, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What are we supposed to be worshiping with? All our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like it's a totality thing. It's like, honestly, man, I'm just telling you, it's not good enough for you to just show up to the house of God. It's not good for you just to sit in the seat. It's not good for you to just give in the offering. It's not a, can I just kind of take a buffet? You know, can I just kind of, y'all ever been to the Chinese place where they, uh, it's, you, I don't know what day it is. I think it's Tuesdays up here at the uh, Daruma uh, uh, Steakhouse, Chinese Steakhouse. And they'll bring you this little, um, this little card. And it's got all kinds of things on there, choices. And you pick, you just tick off, you know, check mark on the things you want. And you just give it to them and they go and get it and bring it back to you. Hey, Christianity, our relationship with the Lord is not like that. We don't get to pick and choose. God says, I want all of you. Remember that time when he was talking to um, the disciples and he's washing their feet and John uh, or sorry, Peter says, uh, yeah, Lord, you're not going to be washing my feet. I probably would be Peter. I'm like, Mm-mm, no, you ain't touching my feet now. Like, ain't nobody touching my feet. And Jesus said, if, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have none of me. I'll have no part with you and you'll have no part with me. And then Peter's response to him was, you know, really kind of humorous. He says, well, Lord, don't just wash my feet. You know, <laughs> wash all of me. In other words, what he was saying is, God, don't just, like, you can, you, you, I'm not just going to give you my feet. You can have my whole body. And so here, we say, he's, he says, I want you to give your bodies to God because all that he's done for you. Now, look at this. He's not saying to give your bodies to God because all God's done for you. It's not like this. Look, look at what all he's done for you. Consider, 
consider how good he's been. Like, you really ought to give him your body. It's a good, yeah, it's a good trade. He's not saying it like that. What he's saying is give your body to God because of what Christ has afforded us. That's what he means. Because of all he's done. Not, hey, out of the goodness of a heart, he's done this. It's the least you can do to give him your body. No, he's saying give him your body because when you give him all of you, look at what it unlocks for you. It unlocks the kingdom for us. And so look at this. He says, uh, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. So when we give our bodies to, to God, it's going to be a living sacrifice. In other words, listen to me. In this room, very few of us in here are witnessing to anybody today. Are you following me? We're all on the same team for the most part. Like, I don't need you to witness to me in here. You know, we need to witness out there. So, again, goes back to the declaration. God wants the world to see Jesus in me. In other words, I need to reflect his glory out there in my workplace, with my employees, with, in my business, in the dealings that I have, with my family, with my children, with my extended family, in my neighborhood. God wants us to be a living sacrifice for him. Listen to me. There are going to be times where you're going to have to bite your tongue at the neighborhood swimming pool because somebody treated your kid wrong and it's like, oh, my. My bear's fixing to come out and whoop some tail, open up a can of whatever. You know, no, you need to calm yourself down. You need to walk in the Holy Ghost, and He is the the uh, the one who gives us peace. So act like you got some peace. Don't act like you ignorant. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know I'm telling you the truth. Like the world does not need to see that. The world needs to see spirit-filled believers operating in the Holy Ghost. We're supposed to be living sacrifices. We're supposed to also be holy sacrifices. And here's where the church has got it wrong. Most of us think holy is sinless. But doesn't it, Pastor Rife? No, not necessarily. In Scripture, holy means set apart. Scripture says it like this. There's a scripture that says, be holy as I am holy. So in other words, I'm supposed to be holy as God is holy. Think about this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you some rhetorical questions. Don't answer. I'm going to ask you some rhetorical questions. So does that scripture mean that I'm supposed to be holy like God is holy? Because that's what it sounds like it means. That's not what it means. You and I can't be holy like God is holy. Stay, stick with me. Because some of y'all are turning me off because of your, of your religious training that you've had. You and I can't be holy like God is holy. You know, the only thing that makes you and I sinless and blameless is grace. And you had nothing to do with it. Our sinlessness has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the grace of God. And we are sinless in him only because of him. I'm going to say it again. We are sinless in him 
only because of him. What that means is be holy as I am holy, be set apart as I'm set apart. God is literally set apart. God is set apart. He will have nothing to do with evil. He will have nothing to do with sin. And so when we talk about being holy, we're simply saying we are setting ourselves apart from the world. We're setting ourselves apart from sin. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be perfect. And that's what a lot of us have, have watered holiness down into is that we're going to be sinless. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, if you think you are going to be sinless, you are setting yourself up for daily disappointment. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Does that mean you're going to go out and sin every day? I, I don't know. That's, a, that's between you and you. <laughs> but when thoughts happen, when opportunities happen, I have choices to make. Are you following me? Sometimes I make the right decisions and sometimes I don't. But Holy Spirit lives in me. When I don't make the right decisions, Holy Spirit convicts me. And I have to come back into alignment. I have to correct, repent. I have to correct my behavior. And so I come back in and I have to remind myself, hey, listen, I gave that life up. My response is hallelujah. I'm, and I'm never going back. There are things that I gave up. I'm never going back to that way of life. I've set myself apart from that. So he says, let your body be a living and holy sacrifice. And, and, and right before I, I switch, the kind he finds acceptable. Listen to this. this. This is good news for you. This is good news for me. God finds me setting myself apart from him, for him acceptable. I don't have to be perfect for God to find me acceptable. I don't have to be sinless for God. Stick with me because I'm using words and phrases that if you don't stick with me, you'll go, no, Pastor Rife, that's not correct. Listen, I don't have to be sinless for God to accept me. Because in him, I am sinless through the cross and the sacrifice, does that mean that I can keep sinning and just do whatever I want to? As Paul said, God forbid, no. Where grace abounds, do I keep on sinning just because I can? No, absolutely not. But the good news is if you do, he doesn't reject you. I grew up under religion that said if you screw up, you're on your, well to uh, uh, on your way to hell in a handbasket breaking the speed barrier. Anybody grow up like that? Just me? And so what does that create? It creates this cheap version of God's grace. And I have to keep going back and getting saved and saved and saved and saved and saved and saved. And that is not the life that he wants us. He doesn't want us to live in that place in the altar where it's like, good Lord, you can't grow in Christ because you are getting saved every other day. And when I came to this realization that, hey, I'm holy because I never saw myself as holy. I'm holy. I have set myself apart. But what happens when you mess up? Grace. 
What happens when you mess up? He steps in and he makes you right with God. Holy Spirit. Then he gives you this incredible gift, Holy Spirit. And when you mess up, he will change your language. When you, when you got this bad attitude and you like bless the lady out at McDonald's just because she gave you a small fry when you ordered a big fry. I'm serious. People get stupid over the stupidest things. And all of a sudden you're just like, like you're mad. My whole day's ruined because I just got a wrong size of fries. Seriously, there are people that live their life like that and many of them are believers. And it's like, dude, do you have the Holy Ghost in you or not? When you mess up, he comes and he brings you back into this place of peace. All right, look at the second part of this. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. There are behaviors and customs of this world. Like, man, I'm telling you what, if our young people, if they do not reject the customs of the world that are happening right now, in a generation, one generation, we're going to see a radical shift take place in this country. We've got to reject the behavior of this world. We've got to reject the customs of this world. What he's saying here is there's, there's a, a set of customs and standards here that are the world's. And then there's a set of standards over here that are God's. He's saying when God is the Lord, Jesus is the Lord of our life, we don't live by the customs of the world. There are people who are believers that they have embraced certain customs of the world. I'm just here to tell you, church, the minute we start embracing the customs of the world, it's like that, you know, Jesus said, it's like a little bit, it's a little bit of yeast. It infects the whole batch. In other words, bring it into the vernacular. You create a great batch of brownies, but you put just a little bit of dog poop in them. Not a lot, just a little, just a little. I mean, it's, are you following me? That's what he's saying, basically. It's like, no, don't touch that. It's not clean. And he's saying, when Jesus is the Lord of your life, don't copy those, but instead let God transform you into a new person. Well, I thought I already was a new person. I thought I was already a new person when I accepted Jesus. You are in that moment. You are in that moment. But do you remember what I told you at the very beginning of this? When you accept Jesus as your savior, right then, man, you're made right with God. But what happens the next day? I have to walk this faith out. What happens the next day? You got to go to work the next day. You come down, you get saved or wherever you get saved. Guess what? The next day you got to go to work. The next day, you're going to have to deal with your family. The next day, there are going to be problems that you have to deal with. What, what do you do with that? That's called life. It's called living. And he says, let God transform you into a new person. So yes, spiritually, you are made new immediately. But guys, not all the time, it just goes away. My dad, for instance, he got saved, but there were certain things that he battled with for years. 
Like he had certain um, cravings or certain uh, uh, behaviors in his life that when he got saved, positionally, Christ saved him and made him a new creation. But practically, he, he was not there. And it took him a while to get to this place. We call that sanctification. We're sanctifying. We're purifying ourselves. And so he says, let God transform you into that new uh, creation, new person. And this is how he does it. He does it by changing the way you think. We become new people by our thinking patterns being changed. Like when you get saved, I'll just give you an example. If you get saved and uh, let's just say you're a thief. All right. That one's a, it's bad enough, but it's not explicit. Okay. Let's just say you're a thief. You just like to shoplift and you just like to lift things. You come and you get saved. You're made right with God. But you go out tomorrow and it's like, I think I just want to lift that blouse. I think I just want to lift this, you know, whatever from my friend's house. That, that, that craving for that is still there. The scripture says, put that away. Well, what do you have to do? You have, if you never change your mind to go, yeah, God's not pleased with that. So I shouldn't do that. If you never change your thinking here and you go, I'm still going to be able to do that. No, then you are, you are going to be in this place of, of, of uh, juxtaposition. You're going to be like against what God's trying to do. He's trying to create holiness in you, but you're still trying to live by the pattern of the world. And so he says, change, your, change the way you think, and then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Like when you and I give our hearts, our lives, everything that there is, mind, body, soul, strength, all of that to the Lord, he says he'll begin to transform you, and how he's going to do it is through changing your mind. So if I want to change, let's say it. If I want to change my behavior, I need to change my mind. If I want to change my behavior, I need to change my mind. I want you to look at this real quick. So, all right. You know, the scripture says that we can't just hear the word. We've got to do it. So, so what do you do to put this in place? You've heard this. I've, I probably can trace mine back to the second grade when I first heard this garbage in garbage out like what you think on that's so biblical what you think on that's who you become as a man thinks in his heart so is he that's what he will become out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks the things the way you think and so how how do we take all of this and making him Lord, the very first thing you've got to make him Lord of is make him Lord of your mind. The way you think, thought patterns. I don't know if anybody in here struggles with this, but I do. Like your pastor, if you're visiting the pastor of Destiny Church, I struggle with making him Lord of my mind. And there are thoughts there. You know how you can think and you can go back to a memory 
And it might have happened when you were six years old at your grandma's house or, you know, 12 years old at your neighbor's pool or, you know, 16 years old on your job at the burger joint. You can, you can recall instances where something was said to you and it mortally wounded you. It wounded you in your mind. And in that instant, you partnered with this lie. In my life, I don't, I, I don't know if it's just because I'm a pastor uh, that I minister in other countries and you know I try to affect people on that scale. I don't know if it's just because of, of, of that that the enemy fights me so hard in my mind and he fights me so hard in, in the areas of my identity. But I, I can, all the time, all the time, just out of the blue, I'm riding down the road, man, just trying to enjoy my Slurpee and the enemy will bring up stuff and he'll say, do you remember that time when you were having a meeting with fill in the blank and that guy said, uh, you're not called to be a pastor. Well, first of all, hang on, bro. You ain't in any place to tell me what I'm called and not called to. But I, I, rem, I can remember things like this. This guy, he, he told me, he said, you're not called to pastor. I had another guy to tell me, um, that's not your gifting. You might last two or three years, but you know, I'll give it three. You, and so here we are, almost headed towards 15. Well, are we 15? I, I lose track. So 15? Okay, so here we are, 15, headed to 16. So, but, but he told me, you'll never, you'll never make it. I'll give you three years in the ministry of pastoring. You'll, you'll never make it. Those, those things, man, cause me to doubt, like, maybe I'm not called to this. Maybe I'm not good at it. He said, he said this isn't my gifting. And so I, I begin to internalize and personalize some of these things that were spoken over me. And I can't tell you, that's just one, but I'm talking like literally there are hundreds of things that the enemy uses against me. And what I have to do is I have to choose how I'm going to respond to that. Now, take that and, and, and apply it to your life. Like, I'll guarantee you, there are things that have been spoken over you that could have been spoken to you uh, uh, over in the heat of an argument. And to the person who spoke it over you, they, it, they didn't mean anything. They just said it in the heat of the argument, but you received it like to the core of who you were. And you carry that around. Maybe it was that you're, you had an alcoholic mother or father and they would say horrible things to you. you. You see what I'm saying? Like I'm just giving you some examples of things. I've had people in church that have spoken things. And I'm like, I literally uh, had this lady one time. And I, I, right now I can't remember exactly what she said. But I said to her, I said, please don't speak that over our church. She no longer comes to church here. But she, she was speaking something and she didn't even realize how negative and, and like, it's almost like a word curse. And I corrected her and I said, please don't speak that over our church. That's not our identity. That's not who we are. 
And she's like, no, I didn't mean it like that. And I said, well, it doesn't matter how you mean it. It's like, you said it. And like, I, I don't want, it doesn't matter. Like you didn't clarify what you meant. So I heard, you, you know what I'm saying? Like it matters to the person receiving it, how I receive it and how you said it, you might have not meant it that way, but I received it that way. So when I received that, it was like a curse. And I'm like, uh-uh, don't, I rebuke that. I don't receive that for this house. And so what do we do when we, when we have these things that are over us and that they're shaping our lives, shaping who we are? I'll, I'll give you, there's three things and we'll go home. First of all, you have to renounce the lie. Like what's the false mindset? that I'm believing. Like you have to say, all right, do I believe this about myself? Or this person told me I'm not called to ministry or this person says that I'll never amount to anything. I can't tell you how many people have had that said to them uh, over, over them as children. Like you'll, you'll never amount to anything. Like in our day and time, we can't imagine that somebody would say that to their kids, but there are people who have literally had that professed over them. And so they grow up thinking with this poverty mindset. Um, I remember something my mom said to me one time. I've shared it with you before. She probably didn't mean it that way, but it's the way I took it because I was in the sixth grade. I wanted to become an airline pilot. Are y'all glad I didn't? <laughs> I, wanted to be, I wanted to fly commercial for Delta. Can't you see me? Don't I look like a commercial pilot? But you know what my mom said? And she didn't mean it. But the way I received it as a sixth grader, she said, oh, son, that's not for people like us. That's, that's for rich people. That's my mama, man. I believed her. You know what? I grew up and I found out that wasn't true. How'd I find that out? Because I'm sitting in Atlanta at Buffalo Wild Wings with a friend of mine who is an airline captain for Delta and we're talking about our childhoods. And I'm like, man, I just kind of grew up poor. He's like, man, I grew up so poor, we couldn't pay attention, you know? And he starts telling me about how poor he, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, wait a second, hang on a minute. You grew up poor? It sounds like you grew up poorer than I did. I, I, I cannot tell you how mad I got at, at that. Y'all know who I was mad at? Who was I mad at? I was mad at my mama. I'm sitting in this conversation. This dude's my hero. I'm finding out he grew up what seemingly seemed poorer than I did. And I believed, I, I gave up a dream that I wanted to be based upon one statement that I believed was true and it wasn't. I'm not saying there was any ill intent from my mom. Maybe she thought that to be true because of something that was spoken over her. But I believed the lie. So you fill in the blank for whatever it is for you. But what you have to do is you have to renounce the lie. And it's like, you know what? There's daily things that I have to renounce that I'm like, that is not who I am. That is not who I am. So 
if it's not who I am, then who am I? And that's when you go to research the word of God. All right. What does the word of God say about me? If I say, man, I'm not worthy of this. Well, what does the, what does the word of God say about worthiness? I just, just real quick lesson on how to teach you to dive into the word of God. It's super easy. And for those of you who, who may be beginners with this, um, if you want to know how to put a belt, stick with me. If you want to know how to put a belt on a Hoover upright certain model vacuum cleaner, what do you do? Huh? Well, go to the instructions. That's not bad. You ain't got the map. Uh, uh, so you go to YouTube. I'm telling you, there's a YouTube video for anything. There's a Google answer for anything. All of them won't lead you to the right place, but the majority will. So if you want to know like, man, I'm having this problem with you filling the blank and you don't know where to find it in the word of God, who's gonna help you get there? Who? Google, YouTube, or your preacher. And you just go and you, say, you type in, what does the Bible say about fill in the blank? And all of these scriptures, articles, whatever, will pop up. And that's how you begin to research. What does the word say? Because when, when the guy came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what was Jesus' answer? What does the... What does the law of Moses say? So when we're dealing with these situations in our life, we've got to go, what does the Bible say? And however you get there, if you go to your physical Bible, you look in the back in that thing that's called a concordance, and you go, uh, you know, I'm looking for anxiety or whatever, and you look there and it's got, you know, 18 scriptures. You, you can do it that way, or you can go to Google, and, or you can find somebody that you're doing life with, but research the word. What does the truth say? And then Here's the third thing. Repeat the word of God. Find out what the word says and repeat it over and over and over until you begin to believe it. How did, how did you know, Pastor Rife, how did you learn so much scripture? I learned it from going and just finding out what the Bible says about it. Guys, when I got saved, I didn't grow up in church. When I got saved, I didn't know who Abraham was. I had no clue who Moses was. I didn't know who Jonah was. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego had no clue. Didn't know who Joseph was. Joseph, Jesus' uh, dad, or Joseph, one of the 12 tribes. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know any of that. But over a period of time, you learn this stuff and you begin to repeat the scripture so that when the enemy comes at me, what I do is I go and I raise up a standard against him. And this is the standard that I get raised up. And so a, uh, uh, the enemy will come against me and I'm telling you, God will bring a scripture to my mind. And I'll say, that's not who I am. This is what the word of God says it. And I will say it out loud. If I'm by myself, if I'm in a grocery store, I will say it out loud. I will say, that is not who I am. Like, you know, you know you're, you're really a pathetic, you know, human being. That's not who I am. Who am I? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
because that's what scripture says. It says, I'm wonderfully made. I'm the apple of God's eye. Nobody cares about you. Nobody cares about you. I know at least one person cares about me. I am the apple of his eye. So I'll speak these scriptures back to him. Sometimes I post them. I'll put them in places. If you come to my house, you'll see, you know, uh, things in different places. You might see it right sticking over the toilet. Why? And if I can just be blunt to you, that's because while I'm peeing, I can see the scripture in front of me. That's blunt, raw, and you probably more information that you want to know. But what, 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 why, do I, why do I do stuff like that? Because I want you to know that this is how we do life. It's not some cute little version of spirituality. It's life and death. It's how we do stuff. We got them poking. We got them on our back of our toilet. We got them on our bathroom mirror. Sometimes we got them on our car mirrors. Sometimes we got them on our refrigerator. Sometimes we just hide them so we, where we can surprise one another with them, Shay and I. Because when you begin to put the word in your heart, in your heart, the scripture says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against God. In other words, you hide it in your heart. You stock your heart full of the word so that when situations come up, the Holy Spirit will draw that out real fast. And you begin to hear his voice. And you're, then, then you're in a situation where you and God are having a conversation. Should I do this because my body wants me to do it? Or should I not because my mind, because I put scripture there, is telling me not... Holy Spirit's talking to me. So you got a choice to do. Listen to me. I cannot tell you how many times God has spoken to me and he and I are having this conversation. And it's, it's like Holy Spirit, you know, the good little angels here and the devil's here and you got those two speaking to you. I can't tell you how many times the devil won. I can't tell you how many times the, the devil all right, this is the angel, this is the devil, this is Holy Spirit, this is the devil. I can't tell y'all how many times. I'm not bragging, I'm just being real. I can't ha- tell you how many times I'm having this battle in my head and this is what your pastor, because see, to you I'm your pastor, but to God I'm his son. To my wife I'm her husband. I'm her pastor too, but I'm her husband first. To my kids, I'm their daddy. To my mama, I'm her son. I'm just a regular, ordinary person, just like you. And I cannot tell you how many times I got Holy Spirit, little angel here, and I got devil over here, and I cannot tell you how many times that rife flicked Holy Spirit off my shoulder. And Holy Spirit's like, and I partner with this one. Man, I regret it. I feel guilty. But you know what? It's amazing. Holy Spirit, he flies right back and comes back and he's like, you failed. You can do it again. Like you can do this right again. And God gives us that other choice. And over a period of time, I, I begin to transition from flicking off Holy Spirit 
to flicking off the devil. And you know how I do that? The scripture says we take captive the thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is the right thing to do. But you'll have these thoughts that come to you and these, these, these opportunities that come to you. And the scripture says we take those captive and we pull them down. We pull those strong thoughts down.